that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and Drew Gillis, and we're drafting today. This was supposed to be a much more intriguing draft because people are going to have to really dive deep into the roster because it was at a time when I thought, listen, you know, there's a lot of third-year guys who might go pro. They're not playing in a college football playoff game. Maybe a lot of these guys might opt out. We might see a very different version of the Ohio State football team on December 29th when they play Missouri in the Cotton Bowl. That's not necessarily true. Now, there's a couple of guys. I mean, they're going to have a new starting quarterback in that game. One of their starting wide at least one of their starting wide receivers will be new since Kyle McCord and Julian Fleming are both in the portal. They might go a little bit deeper in the running back rotation. Well, as deep as you can go when you've lost three running backs, two of them to the portal, and another one to the NFL draft. But a lot of these guys, a lot of these third-year guys, Nathan, have opted in. And so this is this exercise has evolved past, hey, who are some young guys you're just interested to see? And more just being like, who are some people you're, who can like almost use this bowl game for a lot of different reasons, whether it's like, hey, you're trying to put better film on, on film out there because you might go pro after this game, or there might be a young guy who's stepping into a bigger role. There's just, it's important to a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. And I thought it would still make a good exercise, even if it isn't the Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis, Jelani Thurman memorial draft in this situation. So here's what we're going to do. I have a coin over here. Yeah, we're going to do all this on the pod. We're going to, Nathan, I want you to pick heads or tails, and that's going to decide which one of you goes first. I'm going to go third. So that we've already established that. Nathan, who's the most intriguing player in the Cotton Bowl to you for Ohio State? I mean, I don't know how the possible answer here isn't Devin Brown at this point. You know, this would have been if we had taken this, done this same thing on Selection Sunday. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he would have been the first pick because as weird as mm-hmm. that press conference was, and actually he would have been pretty highly drafted, but I don't know if he would have been number one. But I think he has to be number one now because Kyle McCord's gone. Devin Brown is the unquestioned QB1 right now. And the way that Ryan Day answered that question on Wednesday at signing day about when someone asked about Lincoln Keenholds, he definitely answered that in a way that was like, well, if the conditions warrant Lincoln playing, that will be great. In other words, if we're kicking their butt or they're kicking ours, maybe Lincoln Keenholds will play. That's what I took away from that. I, this is Devin Brown's game and could be Devin Brown's team. This could be Devin Brown's job next year. This is a big audition for that. I don't think it is necessarily make or break for him. Obviously, he hasn't had the most smooth ride to get to this point. Being injured, being the backup, not having first-team reps most of the year, all those things don't put him in position to attack this game the way you could have if you were the starter all season, and it was kind of a seamless transition. But this is still going to be the big question hanging over this team into the spring, potentially into the summer. Who is the quarterback, and how good is he? And it's the second year in a row we've been doing that. Uh, but that is this is the guy that I want to see the most because we will get to see in this game something we have never seen before. If if everybody else decides to play in this game, everybody that's healthy decides to play in this game, then this team doesn't look that different. Right now, based on what we know, I think we think Marvin Harrison Jr. probably ultimately doesn't play would be my assumption right now. I could see everybody else who is up in the air, though, potentially playing in this game. 
barring some injury things. I mean, Tommy Eichenberg finished the year hurt. Kate Stover finished the year hurt. We'll see what decisions they make. But everybody healthy could play. So to, to get a look at Devin Brown with more or less the full offense is something we've never seen. So the Cotton Bowl gives us a chance to look into the future in a way that we wouldn't have had that opportunity if Common Court had stuck around, or certainly if Ohio State had made the playoff, we would be looking very much still in the present. This is a look at something that we theorized about all year, but never actually got to see. So 72 snaps this season for Devin Brown, 12 of 22, 197 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Plus he had another 19 carries for 35 yards and a touchdown when they started using him in that package. Nathan, I, I think I'm trying to envision a word, world where he's not the number one pick, even if Kyle McCord, at worst he's number two if Kyle McCord is still here. Because, Andrew, we're talking about Kyle McCord wasn't completely healthy to close out the year there. He did have some ankle stuff, so maybe you're going, okay, well, maybe they rest Kyle McCord in this game and they go with Devin Brown, or maybe we just see an extended Devin Brown because we see that package mm-hmm. a little bit more. So I just I think regardless of what the roster may, have not, may or may not have looked like, I think you can make a case that Devin Brown is still one of the top three picks in a draft like this because it's not a college football playoff game. Yeah, I mean, well, Devin Brown was a layup to see, I mean, what the kids got, to see him throw the ball and to see him in game action because you didn't really see it. So you're, it's kind of the best of both worlds and best of many worlds even because he plays quarterback, which is obviously the position that everybody's intrigued about. You didn't really see him a lot during the season, right? Like you didn't see him play. So there is this kind of mystery of like, what does Devin Brown look like? The guy ahead of him transferred. Like you could just, there's a bunch of different things that you look at and you're like, whoa, this, 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 and this. And that makes it, that makes him interesting. Just one of them, right? Like if the, you know, we'd be talking about this and I, you know, we can, as we're, as we're going to go through this list, somebody ahead of you transfers or, you know, is going to opt out or could be gone next year. Like that's immediately going to make you more interesting. And Devin Brown just has like four of those things that he's going to meet. So I, Devin Brown was the choice. I, I, I mean, there's, like I said, there's a billion things. I don't know how you wouldn't have picked him number one, unless we were doing a non-quarterback draft. Nathan, is Lincoln Keenholz on this list if Ryan Day doesn't say what he said on Wednesday about how this is basically Devin Brown's QB1, and unless something crazy happens, Lincoln Keenholz is probably not going to play. Uh, maybe I would have put him lower. I have not mm-hmm. this whole time operated under the assumption that, that Lincoln Keenholz was going to play a big role in this game. He was he mm-hmm. never played in anything other than kind of mop-up time during the season. The thing that he offers you the best um, is to if you were to put him in in some kind of specialized package, but they can already do. That was what they're using with Devin Brown for anyway during the season. I don't know if you need to sub somebody in to do that. And more importantly, though, they want to win this game. They see great value in winning this game. They're going to put the guy in who is the most ready to lead the offense. This isn't just a look into the future. This isn't just, well, let's play the kids and see what happens. They're trying to win this game. They, they, there are going to be some positions where they do have to push guys up. So be it. That just that could happen anytime during the season. We had saw it happen many times during the year. So I, I don't know if he would have been very high on my list. I'm very intrigued by what he is this spring. We can assume that he will start the spring at worst, getting the the reps with the twos and potentially mixing in with the ones sometimes. So I, I think that's a bigger topic in the spring. Just got to remember, he's still only been here since July. That seems like both a long time because it's you know the full width of the season now, but still also a very relatively short amount of time for someone who didn't. We've had this discussion already for someone who didn't come from a 
a pro breeding ground of quarterbacks. <laughs> Aaron Olin kind of did, you know, Devin Brown almost kind of did you know, the, the talent that's out West and, and, and Lincoln Keenolds did come from South Dakota. And I think he just has a longer curve. So he wouldn't have been very high on my list, though. I am very intrigued by what he looks like. I, I if we were, if we were allowed to watch bowl practices, very high on my mm-hmm. list. If we're talking about just what we're going to see in the game. I, I just don't know how big of a role he's going to get to play. That's very true. Cause there's not even bowl practice watch like there is at some of the other bowl sites where you get to come and see like 15 minutes of that. So that's, that's, that's a fair point. This is a whole different conversation if we're talking about bowl practice, because there's a couple of guys I, w- I would love to see on a, during a bowl practice that I know we're not going to see in this game. That's the number one pick. I think there's a gap between number one, yeah. and everybody. It's like the, it's those years in the NFL draft where everybody knows who the number one pick is already. So the draft starts at number two. So Andrew, the draft starts at number two, who you're picking. Yeah, this is, I think, I, I like, I honestly think two through however many we're going to do is, like, personal preference. It's just like, this is what I'm interested in. This is what I want to see. Um, so I want to see Davison Igbenosin. Uh, I think he's fascinating in this game because you have Denzel Burke who's going to play, but he remains noncommittal about his NFL future. And I am curious to see, like, how much of that is I want to play Missouri's type of offense and I want to put that on film and then go pro. Um, but Denzel Burke kind of isn't this like slam dunk first round pick like a Marvin Harrison Jr. So I think he's still got to prove something. But you're in a position where Davison Igbenosin might be your number one corner next year. And Luther Burden's legit. Like Luther Burden is a real, real number one wide receiver. I feel very comfortable in saying that he's going to be a first round player in the 2025 NFL draft. Like this guy is one of the nation's best receivers and having Igbenosin line up on burden. That's going to be fascinating for me. I want to see how that matchup goes. How many times it happens. Is this something where Denzel Burke just travels? Like I I want to see what that looks like whenever Igbenosin is matched up. Because again, we're talking about a secondary that's going to be pretty young next year. And Igbenosin is going to be your number one corner if, if, all things, uh, if all things kind of hold. And you're going to need him to play some of these guys. You're going to need him to play some of these top matchups. So I, I want to look at Davis and Igbenosin. How does he play against Missouri in that offense? How does he play against Luther Burden whenever they're matched up together? I think that's fascinating. I think you could have waited a while to take that pick, but I understand. That's I understand it. It's, it's the fact that there's a good chance that he might be the only corner of the starting group back yep. next, next year. D- Davis Igbenosin, 70 targets this year, Nathan, only allowed 36 catches, five touchdowns. But of the three of those guys, the most physical, clearly, he started on his team in tackles with 52. And what, what do you just think of him just being on the list in general? Even if, I don't know if you would, first of all, would you have taken him this high? But also, what do you just think of him being on a list like this in general? I guess I, I don't know how much I think he in particular is going to get matched up with Burden. In fact, it might mm-hmm, even be mm-hmm. a thing where Missouri's trying to match him up with Igbenosin just because of the kind of receiver he that's is. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. maybe maybe that's where it comes into play. But I think mm-hmm. more than that, they'll try to get him matched up on Sonny Styles. They'll try to get him matched up on another safety. They'll try to get matched up on yeah. a linebacker. Those are the kind of things. When you watch them move guys around, uh, move burden around it's not necessarily to get him matched up with a perimeter corner it's more mm-hmm. to get him matched up with someone inside where you've really got a problem if he gets the ball so uh, but I, I think your your point is taken especially that he get he'll there is an opportunity here where Igman is going to transition from 
the a guy in the mix to like now you're the guy and and we saw how important that was this year when Denzel Burke fixed it like whatever was wrong in his second year he fixed it in like a palpable way and he took a level of physicality and confidence onto the field and then on top of that sort of his personality was critical to this defense his personality was this defense at times I thought that he held this defense accountable in his words and his actions and that kind of trickled down at every position and his personality is different than Davis and Igmanosin's personality but I imagine that Igmanosin probably watched Burke and we're talking about Burke like he's definitely gone and I don't know that that is the case. But if Burke leaves and if Hancock leaves, I think Igmanosin probably needs to see how Denzel Burke carried himself and not try to be something he's not, but just know from a from a way you carry yourself perspective how important that was and how much I think that secondary needs that. That when you have a guy out there who's who's doing his job and who will come out of games where they, you know, give up you know, two touchdowns and, and more or less hold the team down early in the season was coming out of those games being like, well, this isn't good enough. What are you guys talking about? Like, this is this is nowhere near how good we can be. And he was right because they kept just getting better from there. And I thought that that was an important stamp on this team early this year. So that's the thing that I want to see. Igbenosin just has to take that next step. And it was hard to come in. And number one, he didn't have to do that this year because Denzel Burke was here. Number two, and, and then you also had Lathan Ransom, you had Josh Proctor, you had a veteran presence returning in this secondary. Next year, many, 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 if not all of those guys are gone. And now you're not a transfer anymore. You're not the new kid on the block. You are the established guy who has already kind of proven himself a little bit. But now how do you take that next step as a leader and as sort of the face of the franchise a little bit in that secondary and be the the standard bearer? You got to be the guy who came in this year and felt challenged by that, felt challenged by the matchups against these receivers in the spring, felt challenged by helping this defense turn things around from what it was a year before. And now you have to sustain it. Now you have to kind of pick up the baton and take it to the next level. And we don't know who's coming back next year. So it could be a tougher challenge even than what he faced this year. I think all of those reasons are valid. And I think I agree with them. I just think none of those have anything to do with what his football role might be. That's my only thing is. I honestly think he's already playing the best position for this Ohio State defense. And that's being that boundary corner where you're like, he's the, first of all, he's their best tackler of any of the cornerbacks. That's bar none. That's without question. He might give up a four yard out, but it's not going any further than four yards. <clears throat> excuse me, than four yards. And I think that's where, even if Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock, Lathan Ransom, Josh Proctor, Josh Proctor's for sure gone. The other three, it's kind of up in the air whether they do or not. But even if those guys leave, yeah, he does probably need to be a bigger voice in the locker room. But I think the Penn State game showed us where Tim Walton likes these guys. I think he didn't move Davis and Igmanosin over to the Denzel Burke field side. He kept them on that boundary side and just played uh, Jermaine Matthews on that field side as that press man corner all day long. And so I don't know if I'm going to learn anything more football wise of Davis and Igmanosin. Now, he probably, like, other, other than. You know, okay, just do more of what you've been doing and maybe do it to a bet, higher level next year because you're a third-year guy instead of a second-year guy. But I think that's why he didn't make this list for me is that all that stuff, being the leader, the voice, the face of the room, and all that stuff is 
100% true. But that doesn't mean your football job has to change whatsoever. It just means that you need to be the guy who's leading those other guys and make sure that that production doesn't drop off at those other spots. There is a cornerback I do have on my list, so I'm just not going to take him now because I think this is a perfect game for him and being able to showcase whether he comes back or not his true value to this football team. But for now, I'm going to take the guy that I thought Andrew was going to take here, and I'm taking Carnell Tate. Like, <laughs> I'm taking well, like Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably not playing in this game. So I would expect the next guy up there to be at X to be Carnell Tate in that situation. And this one is, I mean, we just have seen him in small bursts. We haven't necessarily seen him get a heavy dose of snaps, a starter's le- level of snaps. And this is a quality opponent, just like it was against Utah back in the Rose Bowl when Marvin Harrison Jr. blossomed. I'm not saying he has to go out there and do that, be three touchdowns, 75-plus yards. But let me know that X position's fine, right? We think it's fine. Marvin Harrison Jr. has said a lot of really good things about Cardinal Tate this year, as is the rest of the room, as is Brian Hartline, as is Brian Day. But this is like the first time we get to see it for 60-plus snaps and see what it really looks like with Carnell Tate being one of your three best receivers. And how much do they get him involved? How do they use him? Are they moving him all over the place? Because we've seen him line up in the slot at times. We've seen him line up outside. I'm not saying they go full Marvin Harrison Jr. with it, but we always think the wide receiver room is going to be fine when they move on. But that doesn't mean that you still don't want to see it actually play out. And it doesn't, it can't just always be hypothetical. You still want to see it play out, Nathan. Yeah. And, you know, we saw this in 2021. We saw the, the handoff happen. You know, Chris Olave was even in the building at the Rose Bowl, but wasn't participating in the game. And you see Marvin Harrison Jr. and even Emeka Buka to some extent get into that game. You know, he didn't have the three touchdown catches that Harrison had, but he had a couple moments and you saw like, oh, well, when that if that becomes a more regular role for him. And even at that time, we didn't know he was going to be a starter the next year, essentially, because um, Fleming was hurt to start the year. And then Smith and Jigba got hurt to start the year. And from that point on, Ibuka was just a mainstay. And But you saw the flashes and you saw, you know, with with Harrison, it was funny because I think we came out of that game thinking, Wow, you know, the three touchdown catches, it shows what he he's with his size, he could be like a real red zone threat, right? Like we thought that was maybe gonna be like the half step. Like he would move up and then like, okay, like these other guys, Jackson Smith and Jigba, he's your big play threat in the middle of the field, and 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 Julian Fleming's your your you know, your guy streaking down the field, and then you get down close and then Marvin Harrison, that's who you look for in the red zone. And then it was like, no, you'll look for him just all hundred yards of the field and, and he'll be great. Like we 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 got halfway there after that game. And so that's sort of what I want to see out of Tate though, is you know, just getting on the field and being as productive as he was in limited action as a true freshman was nice. What do we see from him in a game like this where he shows us a wrinkle of something, where he shows us like, oh, maybe this will be what he hangs his hat on as he's making this transition to being a, a full-time, big, relied-upon member of this offense. And we still don't know, you know, it sounds like there's a strong chance that Emeka Buka comes back. He certainly didn't talk when we talked to him last mm-hmm. week, like someone who sounds like his foot's out the door. And if he comes back... And then you have Tate and Ennis, now Jeremiah Smith coming in, and and the, the Rodgers, I'll call them the Rodgers brothers, even though they're not brothers and they spell it differently. Like, the, the, there's, there's, a, there's a pile of talent that's building up here. And 
maybe the rotation gets a little bit heavier next year because you've got so many bodies in the mix. But is there something that Tate does in this game where it's like, oh, no, he's not just like coming along. Like, here's the here it is. Like, here's what he's doing right now that truly separates him. I think right now that is happening, obviously, because he's getting a, a specialized role. He's getting a bigger role than all these other guys I'm talking about. He's passed up Jaden Ballard. He's the next guy in line. Uh, mm-hmm. But what what do we see him do that he's obviously doing behind the scenes? How does it translate into actual on field reps in a game like this, where we could be like, okay, there's that's what they're that's what pushed him here, and then ha- what now he's building off of that into the spring, into the start of next year, where maybe he's the guy because like it's been the thing here these last few years, like the sophomore year is really the year for these receivers a lot of times. Like, you know, it started with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, you could even say Garrett Wilson's mm-hmm. 2020 was better than his 21 in some ways. Yep. Just not really better, but just like statistically the way they spread things around. And then obviously Abuka had a better sophomore year than he was able to have as a junior because of the injuries. So like it's there for him to be the next guy to step up and be that second year guy who now the whole world has to pay attention to. 239 snaps this year for Carnell Tate. That's clearly the most a freshman wide receiver has played in quite some time, really since Garrett Wilson in 2019, because just because of how the room has been set up, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka didn't get to do much in 2021. Jackson Smith and Jigba didn't get, and Julian Fleming didn't get to do much in 2020, though Julian Fleming did play in that Big Ten championship game. The room hasn't required freshmen to have to do much just because of injuries, maybe just wanting to get him on the field. The, the gap between him and Julian Fleming not being as wide as we've seen the gap be between number three and number four in years past. I mean, Julian Fleming, two, 26 catches, 270 yards. Carnell Tate, 17 catches, 260 yards. So, like, that's what we're talking about here. Was Carnell Tate someone you considered on the list like this? Yeah, Carnell Tate was third for me. Uh, it was Devin Brown, Davison, and then Carnell. And the reason I had Carnell third, it was kind of, it was very, like, I was kind of hemming and hawing about it. And the thing that I came to was like, you know, I just want to see Davison play like a, I know this dude's going in the first round. Like, I wanted to see that. And I know what you said where you're like, you still want to see it. Frankly, I know what they, I, you know what they say when you assume. I assumed. I was like, I'm sure Carnell Tate's going to be fine. Like, I, I know, like, I saw enough from Carnell Tate this year where I'm like, okay, this dude's going to be good. I heard enough from about Carnell Tate where I was like, okay, this dude's going to be good. And I'm more interested to see what it looks like in spring practice. Like, I'm more interested to see what it looks like in the buildup to the season of 2024 than I am in this particular Cotton Bowl with Carnell because I already am going into this game kind of, again, for better or worse, assuming that he's going to be good. Assuming that there is going to be a level of play that he is going to meet. Now, am I curious how high that gets? Absolutely. He was third on my list. He was high on my list for a reason. I want to see how much he's grown. I want to see what he looks like. Nathan was saying a wrinkle. I want to see how much he's grown throughout the year. I want to see how much you know development you've seen. I want to see what he looks like when he's playing 50, 60 snaps. I think that that's really interesting. But again... I just look at this and I'm like, man, he's an Ohio State receiver. He's somebody that everybody has kind of waxed poetic about for, I don't know, since since I got on the beat. And I saw with my own eyes that he looks pretty good. So I just kind of thought of this and was like, you know what? I'm good. I He's going to be good. And I am more or less just curious about how good. And I think that 
I'm more curious about it in the buildup to the season because there, it's not like there's going to be like, you know, it's not, Missouri doesn't have, you know, the Legion of boom out there. It's not, you know, they're not running out there with just, Hey, this is like a really good test for this Ohio state receiving core. And, and I think that that was kind of my deciding factor. So again, I'm really curious to see how Carnell Tate does. I think it's fascinating to see him play in a starter's role. I just kind of assumed he's going to be good, and, and that was why he was third on my list and not second. I mean, that's fair. I mean, I think wide receiver and quarterback are probably the two positions where you're just going to assume that the position is going to be yeah. good, and if you're proving wrong, then we'll deal with that when we deal with it, just like we dealt with it with the Colin McCord situation and anything else. Like so I get it. I respect it. But he's in your top three. That's our top three. Devin Brown, the clear number one, then Davis and Egbenosa, and then Carnell Tate. That's our first round. We're going to do three rounds, so three rounds of three. So top nine, and then we'll all say, like, if we had the 10th pick, who else we'd be, be a, maybe have been considering. So that's round one. When we come back, we'll get into round two here on Buckeye Talk. So signing day just passed. Andrew's fingers are numb because he sent out so many texts. Get the text, 614-350-3315. He was literally sending texts from 8 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. Well, the 10 o'clock at night part was more because Jeremiah Smith waited until the crack of dawn, basically, to send his national letter of intent in. But he did get it in. So every every single member of Ohio State's recruiting class is in. They have the number four class in the country. That's what Andrew was doing on Wednesday. And that's what we do here. Two-week free trial, $3.99 after that. When there's stuff going on, we're texting it first before we do anything else. I promise you it's a good time. In fact, there are textures who were like, this was so worth my money. And this is not just an ad. I'm telling you, people have been telling us it was so worth their money having this text. 614-350-3315. But for right now, we are drafting players we are most interested to see in the Buckeyes Cotton Bowl matchup with Missouri on December 29th. Our top three were Devin Brown, Davis Nagvinos, and Carnell Tate. And with the number four pick, Nathan Baird, you're back up. Who are you going with? So now we're getting into a situation where without knowing for sure who's going to leave, or who's going to play, mm-hmm. we're, we're taking some, some jumps. But I'm going to go ahead and take one of those jumps yep. here because I think it's a spot where even if the guy ahead of him does play, he's now the number two, and it's Dallin Hayden. Like, we've talked about Dallin Hayden being on the precipice all year and this whole redshirt business that they went through with him, which seems like a big uh, – waste of time frankly like i don't really know what the the upside of that is in the long run i don't think he's going into this thinking he's going to spend five years in college but you never know things could happen injuries whatnot so he'll have that flexibility uh but if trevin henderson plays well if trevin henderson doesn't play down hayden's your number one running back in this game so he becomes very very interesting at that point even if trevion henderson plays I think Dallin Hayden is the number two, and he's now free to play as much as he wants. So you don't have to. I mean, he not only is he going to play, you're not worrying about, I guess that's actually, that's it. That's the thing. He can play. Once he can play, it doesn't matter how many snaps he takes. This isn't like, you know, uh, high school where you're counting the JV quarters or whatever. So I think he's going to have a role either way. And we've seen flashes from him, obviously, over the years. And sometimes those came, you know, second halves against teams that were kind of middle of the Big Ten. Well, okay, now now you're going to go play. Potentially, potentially you're running back one against a top ten team in a bowl game. Like, this is a different challenge. We didn't get to see him last year that much against Georgia. We didn't get to see him really at all against Michigan last year when he was, you know, building some momentum, it seemed like. And there were times this year even when he would play and especially before Trevin Henderson came back or just as he was coming back where you're like, man, like, isn't he running better than anybody else? Like, especially like in 
in correlation with this blocking scheme? Isn't he the guy, the running back, that's taking the best advantage of that? And even again, even if Henderson comes back next year, which it sounds like there's a strong possibility that that could happen, Hayden is going in as your number two right now and should still have a fairly big role, I think. I don't know that they're ever going to make Trevion Henderson a week-in, week-out, 25-carry guy. There's going to be plenty of opportunities for your number two guy to cook, and that's without taking into account the fact that Trevion Henderson has had trouble getting through entire seasons healthy. So I'm just intrigued by getting to maybe, especially if Trevion Henderson doesn't play, I'm very intrigued by it because now, again, it's like the Devin Brown thing. It's like now you're the dude. Everybody else left. There's no Mayan Williams. There's no Chip Trainum. There's no Evan Pryor. It's just you and walk-ons and Xavier Johnson if Trevin Henderson doesn't play. And at that point, now you're in it. He's in a showcase situation in a way that I don't know that he's ever really been. And that'll be a lot of fun to watch because that is, again, giving you a a glimpse into what this offense will look like next year. I think we get to find out how good Dallin Hayden is to an extent because he's played 274 career snaps. He has 130 carries. He has touched the ball in all 13 games he's played in in his career. And when you look at the list of teams he's played against, he's actually, when I say touch the ball, I mean literally touch the ball, whether it's a catch or a carry. Georgia, Michigan, and then Missouri. I think those are the three best teams he's touched the ball against because the other teams are like Wisconsin, Michigan State, Iowa. Um, Maryland is obviously the game when he had the 27 carries, Nathan. So I, I just think this is the third best team he will have gotten to carry against. And this is going to probably be the healthiest load because I'm with you. There's no reason to give the ball. If Trayvon Henderson plays, you're still not giving him the ball 25 times in this game. That just doesn't make a lot of sense to give him the ball 25 times in this game. Now, if it was a playoff game, we're having a different conversation, but it's not. So I would expect Allen Hayden to get the ball 10 to 15 times or in that range in this game. And because Missouri is actually pretty good, we think Dallin Hayden's really good. We think that he is really good at keeping this team on schedule. He's got a really high floor. We're just not sure what his ceiling is. But I don't even know if we're all the way sure about his floor yet. Because Missouri might come after him a little bit and come after this run game a little bit. And so I- I'm with you. He was in my top five as well because we've seen these flashes of Dallin Hayden, but they've either come against teams that couldn't do anything about it or very small number like 11 total carries between the Michigan and Georgia games in 2022 so Andrew like Dallin Hayden is definitely on my list because for starters to Nathan's point he might be running back one in six months depending on what Trayvon Henderson decides to do though I'm starting to come around on the idea that a lot of these third year guys are coming back not named Marvin Harrison Jr. but still at worst he's going to be the number two running back heading into next season. Yeah, he was top five for me too, because I look at the, I mean, we've pointed this out a billion times. We talked about this a lot on the recruiting pod. Look at the schedule for next year. They play two max schools to open the year. You have a bye week, then you play Marshall. There are going to be opportunities for Dallin Hayden. Let's say Trayvon Henderson comes back and is the starting running back. Dallin Hayden's going to play a lot. So Dallin Hayden, like whether or not Travion Henderson comes back. You're going to see a lot of Dallin Hayden next year. A lot, a lot, a lot of Dallin Hayden next year. Like, I, I think you could make a case that, you know, there would be maybe even more than what you saw of, you know, when, when Travion and Chip Trainum were healthy, when both of them were kind of ready to go, I think you can make a case that it's more of a 1A, 1B situation. So as you can try to keep both of those guys healthy. So yeah, Dallin Hayden is up there for me too, just for everything you, you want to talk about next year. I mean, we talked about what we hadn't seen this year, what we had seen this year. So 
yeah, Hay- Hayden was a pretty pretty Hayden might have been the safest pick on this list, frankly, I think, in terms of where you wanted to pick him just because you're like, hey, this guy is we haven't it it, it goes back to what I was saying about Devin Brown. You haven't seen a, as much as you would want from Dallin Hayden. You're going to see a lot more moving forward. So I, I think he's kind of the perfect guy for this. So that's the first pick of the second round. Andrew, who are you going with? Yeah, so the day you want to remember is January 15th. And that is because that is the day that players have to enter their names in the NFL draft or not. So that is why I'm taking Emeka Ibuka. Uh I want to look and see what his day is because he said, I believe that his exact quote was totally undecided about his future after the Cotton Bowl. Yep. Yep. You can read into that as to what you want. You could read into that as him being coy and him actually knowing. You could read into that as him saying, I genuinely am totally undecided. But either way, you're going to have Emeka Buka take over a number one role, assuming Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't play. You're going to have him take over a number one role in an offense that might need him to play that number one role next year. That's, you know, that's the number one thing. He might be the number one guy next year. So there's that. Is he the number one guy? And two, if if Omega Buka goes out there as the number one and has like 12 for 160 and two touchdowns, does that change the way that people think about him going into the NFL draft? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I genuinely think looking at a one game sample size is stupid. I don't think you should. I do think it matters when you, you know, wait, wait your opponents. You know, the Michigan game for Ohio State matters more than the Michigan State game, you know, because you're playing better players and what you want to put on film is different. And I get all that. I get all that. It's a one game. This it's a one game sample size, a one game thing. But man, like I think a lot of Ohio State's future with Emeka Buka is kind of riding on this game because we're going to see what this guy looks like as a number one receiver. He's a very good receiver. We know that, but we're going to see what he looks like as a true number one. And frankly, I think we're going to see what he looks like in the way of, is this man about to enter the NFL draft? Like if you're an Ohio State fan, you probably want a Mecca Buka to have a nice game, but not like 250 nice. Like you, you don't want him to go crazy because that makes it more likely that he's going to go pro and be a first round pick. So I'm fascinated to see what what happens with him. I'm happy you took him so I didn't have to because I didn't want to have to take back-to-back wide receivers. That's just too stereotypical of who I am. Yeah, I think he's interesting because, and I've been thinking about this, because especially I was already thinking about it, but then you said you can't use a one-game sample size. I think you can sometimes. It, it depends. I think that it depends. It's like TJ Stroud was a number two pick in the NFL draft because of what he did against Georgia. Everything right. about what we thought Jackson Smith Jigba could be in 2022, though we had seen flashes of it, we got to really see what the Ohio State passing attack looks like with the number one option is Jackson Smith the Jigba in that Rose Bowl. And it's not I'm not even it's not even about the numbers. It's just about all the ways they tried to get him the ball. In the back, they lined him up in the backfield, lined him up in the slot, put him outside and ran fades with him. They did everything possible. And so we went into that summer, Nathan, like, oh, so this is what it's gonna look like. And then of course they lost it basically one game into the season. And as you know, they got asked, all these Jackson plays that you had planned went out the window. So I think there's almost two ways this can go. And I think they're both positive. It's just, you know, it's more positive for one person than the other person. But is this 
Cotton Bowl going to be Jackson Smith the Jigba or is it going to be CJ Stroud? Is he going to play? Is Emeka Buka going to play in a way where it's not the only thing that matters, but it's almost like the last piece of the puzzle of, oh, teams are get it now. They see what it looks like. They can envision an offense where I'm taking that guy with a first round draft pick. He's my number one receiver because he showed all this stuff in the combo against a quality opponent. And this, uh, uh, Missouri's got a pretty decent secondary. And so, but it's, they're going to showcase Emeka Buka as the wide receiver one. And it can go that far, or can it just be like, hey, this is what the offense is going to look like in 2024, where Emeka Ibuka is your number one receiver, and he's the Jackson Smith, the Jigba, to Carnell Tate's Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jaden Ballard or, or Jeremiah Smith or Brandon Ness or any of the other guys being a Julian Fleming. But he's the Jackson play. We're going to be asking about Emeka plays this offseason if Emeka comes back, because yes, Carnell Tate might be awesome. Yes, Jeremiah Smith might be awesome. But this is a fourth-year former number one wide receiver recruit who we know can be in a thousand yard guy for you as your number two. So what does it look like when the offense is built around him from a passing attack? And I, I don't think either one of those are negative, Nathan, but they are two very intriguing reasons why it was so important for Emeka Ibuka to play in this game. Yeah, I don't know how much I think that the offense would be built around him. I don't know that he is the same as Smith and Jigba was, because Smith and Jigba had you know an even more incredible season and then even after missing an entire year basically was still a first round pick was still the number 20 pick overall in the draft and Ibuka wasn't that injured and is apparently now getting feedback that would lead you to believe he he's going to come back or, or strongly considering coming back I, I think for Ibuka Weaker it's field, not though. weaker field hmm? the wide receivers for Jackson Smith the Jigba than what yeah, sure Ibuka's sure sure with, though. sure Sure, that is, no, that's a factor. Uh, I, to me, it's not. To, to me, the stats are, are are almost secondary because the thing that happened with Ibuka this year was looked pretty good before the injury, and then came back from the injury and just didn't have for a while. So he misses a month and then didn't have it for a while. Like he was getting it back. The the thing that he is, the thing that he has, the X factor, the things that make him special weren't immediately available for him. He still had to work himself back into game shape, get that ankle completely healthy and I don't know that we ever saw again the full explosiveness the full athleticism the range of motion like all those things that you want to see that you did see even earlier this year even though he wasn't putting up huge stats early this year he was being productive and then the injury just knocked everything off course so to me if it's a game like this and he goes for like 17 receptions to get 160 yards all that tells me is, well, he's the best receiver that they had available and they had to throw the ball a lot. So why wouldn't they throw to him more? If he gets 160 on like five catches, that's the where it's an issue for maybe for Ohio State, where it, it convinces him that he can go in now into a combine situation, that he has reinforced the opinions that people had of him after last season. Uh, because what has he shown so far that is like the special trait I think he showed it a little bit last year. I think he showed what kind of a breakaway threat he could be last year. And he's especially showing it in some of those special team situations. Like he was a guy who a couple times was like right there. And and that could translate to the next level, if, if whether they're going to use him as a return guy or whether that's just as a member of the offense. And I just don't feel like that was ever really apparent this year. It, it, he never quite unlocked that again this year. So if he can go into a game like this and do that, maybe that does maybe, you know, 
give him another data point that makes him think it's time to go. But the other thing you have to remember is like they've already gotten feedback. Like they've already heard what NFL teams think of them right now. And mm-hmm. what would he have to do if, if, if based on that, he has not decided to go? That tells you that there was some sort of a, I don't want to say mixed opinion, but they're clearly, it doesn't sound like telling him, yeah, you're a first round pick. Let's go right now. Come on. Cause I'm pretty sure they're telling Marvin Harrison Jr. That. So if you're not hearing that, you're still taking a pretty big gamble. Even if you have a big bowl game, you're taking a fairly big gamble to say, well, even though you said that I had a good game, I hope I changed your mind. So I'm going to go. Um, and it's not like if you fell to the second round, that that's like, the worst thing that's ever happened to somebody. I mean, that plenty of guys have taken that and and gone on to highly productive careers. It's just a matter of what you want and and syncing up the timing of everything. I think there are a lot of positives for Mecca Buka if he comes back. And there are more positives for him than there would have been for that was even available to Chris Olave when he made this decision after 2020 to come back for that 2021 season like name image like this was not really a thing at that point it was just coming on to the uh, just coming in and now Emeka Buka someone like him can come back probably do pretty well for themselves I don't think it's a thing where like they have to back up the truck for him I think just based on his talents his personality I think he can do probably pretty well for himself be one of the faces of this team get hooked up with some of those things and and make a decent income this year that floats in through while you then spend the whole next year you know getting that ankle back to full health and then building off of that i i think that there's a big upside for him to come back and again i don't know that he becomes the central part of this offense i just i don't know that he has to be though i think if you come back and are a big part of an offense that maybe takes the step it didn't take this year and gets to a more consistently explosive place. And now you're just one component of that. That's still going to reflect well on you, I think, as far as your NFL candidacy. But you don't think that if he comes back, he's the guy they're scheming up the most play in the passing game, the way that they've done with Jackson and Marvin the last two years? Uh, I don't know. I mean, is he is is he going? Maybe. Uh, I just don't know that they're going to have to, though. I mean, you, you've still got Carnell Tate. You've still got Jeremiah Smith um, coming on as a guy. I mean, I heard Brian Hartline. I've heard things he has said to people about Jeremiah Smith that he doesn't say about any of these other great guys who just came through here in the last five years. Oh, like, no, they are very yeah, excited. So so it's yeah. I, I'm just saying like, it's it, I, and I. I don't know what I think of a Mechabuka, I guess, is what I'm saying right now. This season made it a little bit harder to make that evaluation, frankly, I think. Like, I'm not saying he's not a good football player, but do I think he's a guy that you would showcase in a way that you showcase Jackson Smith and Jigba? I don't know, mm. but because Jackson Smith and Jigba had proved himself at a different level, and that's why they were planning to showcase him the way they, they were. But that also, I mean, that plan might have changed too as they saw what Marvin Harrison Jr. became last year anyway it wasn't like you were going to throw the ball to him less right in 2022 no he's having a unanimous all-america season so uh, there are some x factors here it's like we know that there's going to be talented receivers in that room but which ones are ready to be like truly special and which ones go out on the field and do it and stay healthy for a full season a lot of x factors still tbd i i think what makes it difficult for me is and, and what you're saying 
I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr., yes, was unanimous All-American. He probably should have won the bullet in the call in 2022. Mike had three less catches and like 110 less yards and four less touchdowns. Than him. Like, their stats were – and their usage was very simu- similar. It's just one got hurt in 2023, and the other one didn't. So the other one got to do it again, and the other one didn't get to do it again. So that's why I think Emeka has proven himself just as much as Jackson has. It's just Jackson got to have a game where the other first-rounders weren't on the field with him at the time. Established first-rounders weren't on the field with him at at the same time, and so he got to really showcase what this offense can look like when he's at the center of it, while Emeka Puka has never... He's really only been in that situation for one quarter, and that was against Georgia in a game where you're missing so many weapons already that it just felt like Georgia could sell out on taking him away. That's why I'm saying it. You're right. I mean... (laughs) The stuff I've heard about how they feel about Jerry, there's a reason why Ryan Day acted like that Wednesday when Mark Fantoni came in and said that. That's not, that wasn't for show. That was real. <laughs> they really think this kid is going to be something special. But it doesn't mean that he and Carnell are going to be special. And maybe they don't have to be because they're not playing Notre Dame in week one. But I still think there's going to be a period of, you know, just kind of building up to whatever those guys are going to be next year. While with Emeka, if he comes back, he's already that. It's just now he's healthy and he gets to do that. That's why I think it's intriguing. I I, I don't know. I don't know if they can do as much with him as they did with Jackson or uh, Marvin. But I also don't know that they can't. Maybe it just looks differently. Maybe it's not. You know, with Jackson, it was just get him out in space a lot of times. With Marvin, it's just find 30 million different ways to line him up and get him the ball. Maybe with a Mecca Buka, it's getting him more involved in the run game. And maybe it is getting him out in space or getting him down the field or whatnot. But I, I just think he's not Marvin Harrison Jr. level first rounder. And he's maybe not even Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave level first rounder, but he might be Jackson Smith, the Jibba level first rounder, which is a guy in the twenties. And I think when you've got a young room who might be awesome by the end of the year, but might need a couple of weeks to, you know, just get used to playing that many notes number of snaps in a college football game I think it, it's a fair thing to assume that they might scheme up a lot for a Mecca Buka not only in this game but early in the next season as the guy they showcase while those other guys come along that was a long discussion on a Mecca Buka maybe this one's going to be a little bit shorter but I'm, I'm up next I'm going to go with Jordan Hancock here and a lot of it was the reasons Andrew that you presented for Davidson Igbenosin he's already going to be playing the nickel and going to be in the slot and so they're going to move Luther Burden all over the place. I'm fully aware of that. But I think Jordan Hancock might get the healthiest dosage of opportunities to go up against Luther Burden. And this is what, I mean, he talked about this when we got to talk to that group of players a couple of weeks ago, that this is what makes him valuable. The fact that he can play inside, he can play outside. He said he played basically everywhere in the secondary this season, which means adjuster, bandit. He lined up everywhere. And now he gets to do it against a guy who is of equal caliber or maybe even better caliber than higher caliber than what he is. And so I do think this is the type of game for him where it's show me it against an elite football player. And we've seen him have a really good year. I think he's only given up 21 catches on 41 targets this year. He's been one of the more underrated, valuable pieces this year, Nathan. But we haven't seen him go up against an elite football player yet. And he's just going to get the most opportunities to go up against that elite football player on Missouri's team. Yeah. I mean, I think he would have been my highest placed DB if we're picking on this. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe Um, just because of, of what you're saying, 
this this specific matchup, I think, might be his matchup as much as anybody's, especially if they have to play Styles as as you said, if they're playing Styles back and just kind of letting Hancock run the slot, then I think this might be a matchup he has to deal with a lot. So I I, I want to see that. Like I don't think that they saw a abundance of great slot receivers throughout the Big Ten as as you so rarely do, and uh, mm-hmm. you're going to have a, a, a really good receiver and a very capable quarterback here. So he's another guy who I think surprised himself a little bit. I asked him this when we talked to them last week. You know, did you expect to get here? It was the opposite question. I basically had three guys I was asking his question to, and it was two sides of the coin. For Ibuka, it was, didn't you expect to get to this point of the season? And no, I'm a first-round pick. I'm gone. And it didn't happen that way. I think that's what everyone expected. It's what certainly what we were looking at coming into the year. And then with Hancock and Tyleek Williams, it was more, well, those guys are like promising guys. And like, you could like, sort of project as we do every year with our uh, Lattimore hooker watch list. Like, okay, those guys, third year guys, they could really, maybe, maybe they pop. And, but I don't think Jordan Hancock went into the season thinking I'm on a 12 week countdown to maybe having to make an NFL decision. And then all of a sudden now it's, it's in his face. And what did, did, you know, the versatility, the versatility he showed, I think makes him attractive to NFL teams and would probably help him stick on a roster long-term. Does it help him maximize his NFL value, though? Or is there something more that he can come back as far as a draft selection? Um, again, factoring in the fact that you can do well for yourself in NIL in the interim. Like, does it make more sense for him to come back and, and take another full year? Because he's only had the one year, really, where he's done this, to take another full year and, and put something out there. And then maybe this, maybe this could be the kind of game that helps him make that decision. Because if you go in and you kind of battle to a draw here, or, or definitely if you get the best of burden, maybe that's something else you can show to teams and say, like, listen, you, I know how highly you think of this receiver. I was right there with him. Like, I, he had to fight for every yard he got. But if burden has a big game, maybe that's something that motivates you to come back and say, okay, well, I need to be X better of a player by the, by the time we have this conversation a year from now. He is the epitome of what the Marshawn Lattimore Molly Cooker awarded because he was hurt. His for last year, and we were like hearing about, like, listen, this guy's awesome. This guy's awesome. I said, like, yeah, okay, but we haven't seen it because he's hurt. And then he's uh, the only difference is it's not so, it's not blowing away. Clearly, he needs to leave because he's a first round draft pick, the same way that it was with those two guys. Andrew, what do you think of this pick? Well, the first thing is when Nathan said best of burden, uh, the only thing I thought of is how much fun headline writers from Missouri have had doing. I guarantee you they've put beast of burden in a headline somewhere. I guarantee it. It's got it's the easiest layup in the world. So shout out puns and shout out uh, shout out the Rolling Stones. Um, I, I don't know how else, to, <laughs> how else to back that up with actual football analysis other than my uh, beast of burden talk. comment. Um, I I don't know. I like I said, I had Igmanosin ahead of him. Um, you're gonna move him around a little bit. And, and burden, I mean, you're going to move burden around a little bit. So, uh, you know, you're going to have him in a different, in a couple different spots on the field. That's going to create some unique matchups. I had Hancock ninth on my list. Um, so he, he really, like, there are some other guys where I just, I'm more curious about. And, um, you know, I, for me, it was just, it was one of those things where it's like Carnell Tate, like, all right, I, I, I know this dude's good and I understand kind of where we're at with him. I just, you know, I, he didn't, 
he really came on to me in the second half of the year. Like he he really started to look good in in the uh, like in the back half of that schedule. So I uh, he he was not super high on my list. So that's our second round: Dallin Hayden, Emeka Buka, Jordan Hancock. Once again, our first round: Devin Brown, Davis Igmanosin, and Cardinal Tate. And when we come back from this break, we'll get into our final picks here on Buckeye Talk. We're talking the most interesting players. And Ohio State's matchup with Missouri on December 29th in the Cotton Bowl, New Year's Six Bowl, two top 10 opponents. So far, Devin Brown, Davidson Igmanosin, Cardinal Tate, Dallin Hayden, Emeka Ibuka, and Jordan Hancock have been our picks. Nathan, your last pick here in the third round, who you're going with? Great question. <laughs> this is another one that, okay, this is another one that is very heavily influenced by who plays, who doesn't play. Tyreek Williams says he's going to play. We haven't heard mm-hmm. Mike Hall Jr. or Ty Hamilton commit to playing in this game. We assume Jade McKenzie will, will play in this game as an outgoing senior. So I'm going to put Hero Canoe here Ooh. because he's already a guy who was starting to make some moves, was was climbing up the depth chart again, was starting to get more snaps earlier in games and or later in games if they were closer games. And it's been a a sort of a slow build in a second year to a place where you can it is clear, like they are demonstrating confidence in him. So I want to see what he does if he has to be one of the main guys in this game. If two of those three guys decide they're not playing, now he has to basically be a starter. He has to play significant snaps in this game. And I think he might be ready for that challenge. I think he, and again, end of your second year, this is kind of a perfect bowl practice, bowl season scenario, right? Where a guy who's sort of been lingering and then some guys ahead of him don't play and it just opens up an opportunity and he takes advantage. That's what the receivers, well, those receivers were freshmen a couple years ago. But, you know, tail, tail is old as time kind of thing. Um, what does he do with that opportunity? How does he, um, once he gets like a, a sustained amount of snaps, what does that look like? I, I'm just curious because I think regardless of who comes back, it seems like what was a three-man rotation this year, all things being equal, could be the same guys but plus him as maybe an important fourth guy in that rotation. And maybe there's some other names, in case you guys want to mention them, I won't name them. There's even some other guys who are maybe creeping up into that and now taking what was a three-man rotation this year and getting it to five with that same trifecta at the top plus some really intriguing guys sticking onto the bottom of it. And now you're going really deep with, with guys that, as I said before, like there's a demonstrated trust in, in putting these guys in, in big games or at crucial moments of games or both. He played 81 snaps this year, but I thought he flashed in like 55 of those snaps this year. I think Nathan, if some of these guys come back, Ohio state's got a chance in 2024 to have that six man defensive tackle rotation that we saw in 2019 if Larry Johnson really wants to go there with it because they've been building some depth they just needed some guys to get older I'm and even to be honest with you even if some of those guys do play like I mean we know Tyreek Williams is playing I'm I mean Ty Hamilton I'm not concerned whether I think he's gonna play I don't see there's no value in him not playing in this game because I also think he just might come back for a fifth year because I think he redshirted in 2019 so he can't come back yeah yeah. I mean it's 2020 so he can't come back so it's like I think even if Mike Hall plays they might go deeper than three because there's just something about bowl practices, man. The guys just start popping, and maybe something just sticks. And maybe it's because you're not in – well, players have said this. It's not because you're preparing for a game. 
every single week. You know, it's it's a real buildup. And so almost the first three or four or five practices are just getting back to the basics and just fundamental stuff. And so you can really build some momentum. So he's a guy that I'm really intrigued about because he I mean, he's played 81 snaps this year. If he plays 17 to 20 snaps in this game, I won't be shocked at all just because. And then, like, if we're asking, hey, Larry, what about – or asking him in the spring, like, hey, how valuable were those bowl game reps in getting you ready to do what you did in the Missouri game? He's going, yeah. Listen, just having, like, 30 days straight of practices and not having to worry about game reps and all that stuff, that really is where I took off as a football player, and then it pays off in the long term. So, yeah, Nathan, he was high on my list as well. Andrew, what do you think of the German sensation known as Hero Canoe. Yeah, he was uh, he was on my list too. Um, he was actually towards um, not. It sounds like not as high as you guys. He was a little bit towards the bottom. Um, I, the the it's it's hard to 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 talk about this because I, I'm sure you guys ran into this problem as you kind of made your list and you were kind of working this out. It's like, all right, not only who is going to play in the game, you got to figure that out, but who's coming back next year. Because there, there is an element, like Steven was saying, this is what the offense is going to look like in 2024, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's kind of a dry run for that. There is an element of like, all right, well, the Cotton Bowl might be different than the 2024 offense or the 2024 defense. Um, so Canoe, I think he could kind of force his way, like you guys were saying, into making that rotation deeper, into making that rotation an extra an extra defender there. I, You know, he played really well. I thought he had a couple plays um throughout the year that just kind of made you go whoa like the wisconsin play he i remember he had a couple plays like that um there were just moments throughout the year where he flashed and you saw some really good things and you don't want to count on everybody back you don't want to count on everybody leaving you know uh, there's probably a middle ground there so i i think canoe is interesting here canoe just because what everything might be like what like what this roster might be in 2024 so Andrew, who's your final pick? Yeah, this one was hard. Again, like I said, it was really hard because there were guys that I was considering and then you're like looking at it and it's like, man, I really want to see this guy play, but I don't know if he's going to play. Like there were a couple. We can of, run through all that at the end Yeah, of there stuff. were a couple of guys that, on this, yeah, this The list yeah. definitely changed for me too once it, all those guys said, yeah, like, what, like, play. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, like right around like, I would say like six, seven, eight, nine, like right, like the back half of this list, I was like, Oh God, I don't know if this guy's going to play a lot. Like, I don't know what this guy's going to do. Um, so I picked Kenyatta Jackson. Um, I, oh no. Oh no. As Steven rolls his eyes. Um, so here's the thing. Ohio state has Jack Sawyer and JT Tumalo out as your rush ends. And Jack Sawyer almost looked like offended at the notion that he wouldn't play in the cotton bowl. Um, you know, he kind of seemed very just like, how, how dare you, how dare you say that? Cause he said he was absolutely going to play. Um, you know, he said that they were still navigating decisions. So we don't know what's going on. We didn't talk to JT Tumalawa. We didn't talk to, uh, him after that. Um, whenever the, whenever the heck we talked to him, uh, when they had their big availability day. So we don't know what his plans are for the Cotton Bowl. We don't know what his plans are for the NFL Draft. We know Jack Sawyer is going to play in the Cotton Bowl. We don't know his plans next year. This might be a guy that you have to rely on, Kenyatta Jackson, in being a starter next year. And you're probably, like, you don't want to say probably going to lose one, probably going to keep any. You, you just don't know right now. So I think that uncertainty has kind of made me really interested in it. 
especially after we did the podcast where I was like, yeah, Ohio State didn't rush their like didn't rotate their ends at all this year. And you guys were like, wait a minute. This year was the this year was weird. This was the exception. They always rotate their defensive ends and their defensive linemen. So I am curious to see what Kenyatta Jackson does in this game and how much of it he does, because you might have to rely on this dude a lot next year. So I uh, I want to see what what Ohio State's got in him. Nathan, what do you think of the Kenyatta Jackson pick? Oh, no. Yeah, no, he was definitely in the mix for me, too, for the same reasons. I'm starting to think, I mean, we know Jack Sawyer's going to play. I think I'm getting to a point where I'd be surprised if JT didn't play and return. Mm -hmm. It just, it seems like it's trending that way. And if, if that's true, then I think what could happen next year is everything we thought that those that rush end combination was going to be this year just gets delayed for a year. Uh, and now next year is the year where the same as we're talking about this tackle rotation. Now you start talking about an end rotation, a rush end rotation that has Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry. I actually had them on my list kind of as Kenyatta slash Caden, because with that X that full year now, I think Kenyatta has maybe closed the gap a little bit with Caden Curry, but they're both intriguing in their own ways for what they could be next year. Even if that thing that they are is second string rush ins, you know, you can look across the big 10 and see guys every year that end up being like all big 10 guys who aren't necessarily the starting defensive ends on their teams. But they're the ones who go in and uh, get a lot of sacks. And if there's guys who are not uh, as good of an all-around talent yet, especially as as these fourth-year guys, if they both return, would be, but can go in and be very disruptive, very um, effective pass rushers. And I think that's on the table for Kenyatta Jackson. I also think, though, I, I mean, maybe you guys feel differently. I saw the flashes from Hero Canoe. I didn't see as many flashes from Kenyatta Jackson. Maybe that's not as fair, but I don't know that there were as many moments to me that stood out for him. So I think that's another reason why he would be on the list for me is I'm still waiting to see. It's not that I doubt that he's talented, but I'm just waiting to see it show up on the field more, even in limited opportunities, if that makes sense. I rolled my eyes, Andrew, because I was going to pick him. I think he's the best pass rusher they have on this roster. And to your point, Nathan, about the flashing, I thought, no, this moment is just stuck in my head now. Rushman package, third and long against Penn State, and it's Jack Sawyer inside, and it's Mike Hall, and it's JT and Kenyatta Jackson on the outside. And Jack, Kenyatta, and JT all cooked their, t- their offensive linemen. I'm pretty sure Kenyatta was going up against Olu Fashanu. I might be wrong about that. I have to double-check that, but I'm pretty sure he was. And they all demolished their offensive linemen and then just met at Drew Aller. And it's like, that's what the Rushman package is supposed to be. That. When it's like literally a race to the quarterback between five-star and top 50 recruits. That's what it's always supposed to be, and we haven't necessarily seen it. I picked it, so I saw that. There were some other moments where he flashed as well. I think he had a moment where him and Caden Curry met at the quarterback. I just think he's probably their best pass rusher, and there's probably some other stuff that he wasn't as good at yet. And when you're playing Notre Dame in week four, who's going to run the ball, you can't have that guy out there because you got to be able to stop the run, and maybe he wasn't ready to do that. But third-year Kenyatta Jackson, third-year Caden Curry, and I, I think Jack and JT are both coming back. I, I, I'm, I said it before, I'm coming around on the idea that Marvin Harrison Jr. might end up being the only third-year guy who leaves. I just feel, it's starting to feel that way for me because it's the only one that 
it's a bona fide makes sense. He has no choice but to leave. The rest of them are so 50-50 in their decisions and can probably improve their draft stock significantly. But I think they could have a six-man rotation on the interior, and I think they could have a four-man one on the outside. Where and maybe they match it up better because this year it was a lot of just Jack and JT out there. But if they're both repetitive and what they are as football players, why not pair Kenyatta Jackson and JT to him a low hour? Kenyatta Jackson and Jack Sawyer and then Caden Kade, Curry with the other. Why not do that? And so it gives you the best of both worlds always on the field. And maybe in year three, Kenyatta and Caden are more capable of doing that than they were in year two when you had to rely so heavily on Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimolo out in these bigger games. I'm not sure. I mean, there's a reason why we had all gotten to the point where we thought it was not just Jack and JT, it was Jack, JT, and Kenyatta. Like, we, we didn't pull that out of our butts. Like, we saw that last spring, and now it's obviously you have to taper with the fact that the offensive line looked god-awful in the spring, but still, he was flashing a lot, and maybe there were just some other parts of his game he needed to develop before Larry Johnson was willing to put put him out there. But I think he might be there in year three. I think that's a fair assumption to make about that guy. So that's why I rolled my eyes because um I, I was going to pick him. So uh, I, I do. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I, I think you could take just about anybody from this rush in group right now, though, in a conversation like this, because I think what we saw on signing yeah. day was the Larry Johnson conversation is happening about like so what where is he right now in his career because everything ryan day said about his wisdom and the proven track record all those things are true but the last two like big time prospects that he's had as rush ends who came into the program were tyreek smith who was a fifth round pick and zach harrison who's a third round pick as far as guys who actually got to the nfl draft Mm -hmm. so far since since that window, since that 2016 to 2020 thing, 2020 window, where you had generational talents on an annual basis, which is not supposed to happen. So since then, it's been more modest in terms of the um, NFL draft um, recognition. It's been more modest mm-hmm. in terms of the pass rush production from any of these guys. It's been since Chase Young. I mean... Has the have the leaders in each year since Chase Young left combined to have as many sacks as Chase Young had in that year? I don't know that I that I I honestly don't know the answer to that. I think it might be under I, if you take I'm the if you take up. the rush end leader in each year and combine them. Who who where how many sacks is that since for twenty 2020 twenty to twenty I think they that it, everybody talking about like his age and how much that's getting used against him. I think these other things are starting to. I don't know that they're necessarily getting used against him. I don't know if somebody's saying Larry Johnson doesn't know how to coach defensive line anymore, but you're getting farther and farther away from that point where you could say these guys come in and they're amazing, and then they're the top, one of the first three picks in the NFL draft, and it's happening every year. Like We're just getting farther and farther away from that. So it's not that that gets used against Ohio State, but Ohio State can't as effectively use that as a selling point anymore. And maybe that's showing up a little bit in what's happening on signing day. So I think this could be a big year for this defensive line in 2024. If all these guys come back, and then you have a combination of unparalleled like unquestionable performance plus then followed up by a better NFL draft showing that could be a really big combination for 
sort of reversing some of the trends that we're seeing on signing day. And uh, just because it doesn't happen until the fourth year doesn't mean it isn't valuable for for this program and for those guys. Because like even like, yes, even 2021's recruiting success to get to him and Sawyer was huge. The reason it was huge is because we thought, well, these guys will be here for three years and then third year will be awesome. And then they're out the door. Well, not quite like they were very, very good. But like we said, it sounds like they're both coming back because the NFL is saying to both of them. It's sounds like it's it's not it's not your time, at least not to be a, a top of the draft guy. And that's not what the trajectory was supposed to be. So I think this coming year in this, I think the Cotton Bowl could maybe be this an important piece of momentum for that. Do you, do you get all these guys back on the field playing together and and sort of getting the band back together, but also seeing like they didn't leave it the way they wanted to against Michigan. They didn't even really leave it the way they wanted to in terms of, like I just said, the trajectory of their careers. They all have a little bit of something to prove coming back for 2024 and proving it on behalf of Larry Johnson a little bit. Chase Young ruined sacks at Ohio State. He ruined it. Kind of. He had yeah. 16 and a half sacks and he had 16 and a half sacks in 2019. And it's just, he, he, he like skews how hard sacks are to get. So Jonathan Cooper leads the team in sacks in 2020. He had three and a half. Now granted, they only played eight games. Shortened year. Three and a yeah. half sacks. So for the record, those three and a half sacks would have been tied for fifth in 2019 behind Chase yeah. Young 16 and a half, Davon Hamilton six, Baron Browning's five, and then Jason Carnell's four, and then Malik Harrison and Zach Harrison at three and a half. In 2021, the sack leader, we're talking to edge guys. The sack leader was Haskell Garrett. He had five and a half, and then Tyreek Williams had five, which is just that year's so random, man. But the, as far as edge rushers, J2 Tuimaloa had three and a half. So that's seven sacks so far. And Chase Young had 16 and a half. 2022, the edge rusher leader was Jack Sawyer. He had four and a half. He was tied with Mike Hall for the lead there. So seven and a half plus four and a half. That's 12 seven, sacks. Seven plus four and a half. So far. So it's 11 and a half. Yes, yes, yes. 11 and a half. Thank you. Math, baby. Math. And then this year, so far, JT Chuimaloao, four sacks. That's the leader. That's 15 and a half sacks in the four seasons now since Chase Young walked out the door. That's a whole sack less than one dude had in a season where he also missed two games. Yes. That's yes. why people have such an issue about where the sacks are. That's and why. Like, that's and crazy that's all to me. <laughs> like, all of those things are true in equal measure. It's like, yes, that yes, Larry Johnson went and got this guy who was like a an alien among humans and, and got him to the point where he could have this superlative once in a lifetime season. And it's hard to compare any single season to that ever in the history, in the, in the forever going forward, Buckeye talk episode 10,000, they're still going to be saying, how did, how did that guy get 16 and a half sacks in 11 games, 12 games, whatever it was. But it's also very underwhelming that to, to still have not achieved the, that in totality among your Russian leaders in the past four years, like the, both of those things can be true. And I think there it's fair to, to both give Larry Johnson credit for what is happening and to question why it isn't more and to question if that is still one of the lingering missing ingredients. So I think, you know, Kenyatta Jackson going into a third year is in a, just a unique position to help tilt 
the balance of that conversation. Even if he is not a starter next year, even if he is still operating largely behind JT Tumaloa and Jack Sawyer, he and Caden Curry have a big part to play in where that conversation goes, where where that conversation sits a year from now. When we're sitting here um, having the same similar conversation for whatever playoff game Ohio State's playing in next year, how are we talking about its ability to get to the quarterback? They need to get back to like what they were in 2016 and 2017. That's the the real issue. Like the chase thing is such an outlier, but like this is 2017. Nick Bose had eight and a half. Sam Hubbard had seven. Taekwon Lewis had seven. 2016, the previous year before that, Nick Bosa had only five, but Taekwon Lewis had eight. Like they need to get back into the space where the rush and lead, whoever is leading this team in sacks is north of seven. And that's been the issue here, Nathan, is the fact that when you, that's why we're saying the leader in sacks combined haven't had as much as Chase. That's not about the fact that Chase had 16 and a half. That's the fact that every single year, the Russian, whoever is leading this team in sacks is less than five sacks. That's how that even occurs. And maybe a third year Kenyatta Jackson, and maybe you throw Caden Curry into this mix as well. In a fourth year, JT Tuimaloa and Jack Sawyer, you finally get that combination plus the interior rotation. My last pick since Kenyatta Jackson got stolen from me. I'm going to go with Sonny Styles, And it's because I'm not sure what they do with him yet. Yeah, they have a three-safety defense, Nathan, but it feels like Sonny Styles was like Pete Warner was in 2019, where it's like, he can do some safety stuff, but that dude's a linebacker, man. He's a big dude, and it felt like at some times Michigan exposed that. You know, there's that play, I, it's still stuck in my head of, he's in the hole, he's there, make the play on Blake Corum, and Blake Corum just shifts him, and now it's a explosive play for a touchdown instead of maybe a two-yard gain and this is not Sonny Styles is a freak he's a freak for sure but that doesn't mean he needs to be a freak who's in the back end that far away from the line of scrimmage so I do want to see him in this game where he's probably going to be the starting bandit Jordan Hancock's probably going to be the starting nickel and Josh Proctor's your adjuster I just want to see what it looks like and see if we come out of that game thinking Eh, let's put him back up on the line of scrimmage because this isn't going very well. I just want to see a better version of Sonny Styles in that bandit role before I'm ready to just be all the way comfortable with him being back there because he's 6'4", 225 pounds. It's not normal for you to be that big and be that back there. So the fact that they even considering it is already impressive, but it actually has to work for it to be impressive. I, I don't know what his role is going to be next year. I don't think, right? Like, we don't know exactly which yeah. spot he plays next year. There are some moving chairs in this safety room. Um, I think we know what, um, we know who will sort of be involved to some extent. It's going to be him. It'll certainly be Hancock if he comes back. It'll be, um, um, you know, um, Malik Harford. Um and we think probably Jihad Carter somewhere in the mix and they're looking at guys in the portal, but what exactly is Sonny styles next year? Was this, is this where he's going to be where they keep him at that glorified, like Sam linebacker version of nickel, or does he move back on a full-time basis? I think they like him where he is because of the versatility that it gives the whole defense, but it's also hard to imagine that role where he isn't still coming off the field a lot. And mm -hmm. if he's as valuable as you think he is, that doesn't make a lot of sense either. So do you keep him on the field permanently in a different spot or do you, do you reconfigure the way you're looking at nickel? I, I don't I don't know the answer to that right now. I think that some of that stuff might be a little bit up in the air and it might just depend on what collection of personnel actually gets to opening day 
next season. But I agree that there are some matchups in this offense. You know, as prolific as Missouri's offense is, both running and throwing, uh, he's going to have a, a lot of responsibility. Everybody on this defense will. So I'm I'm curious again how how he stands up because I think we saw a lot of good things from him in the second year, especially for a second year guy who's who is younger than he his class is supposed to be. Um, we did still see some places where he hasn't made that jump. So sometimes that jump happens in bowl practice. Let's see what it looks like against uh, another top 10 team. The thing for me is, I mean, this is this is going to be a nice test for his coverage skills, right? Like this is going to be a nice test for the type of, hey, can we put him up top and, and see how it goes? So I, I think this was actually a really good pick that, you know, I hadn't really considered, frankly. Um, so I, I, you know, I think this was a nice little uh, nice little late round selection here, because, again, you're talking about a guy like Nathan was saying, you you have him down in the box, you have him up top, you have him kind of all over the defense and you like the versatility that he brings. And that's the whole point, right? Like when you're talking about a guy of his physical nature, you can't just waste him, so to speak, on one spot. But I do think you want to be able to move him around to a lot of different areas. And if I mean, this is probably as good of a test as you're going to get as any with the passing offense that Missouri has with what they try to do and how they run their offense. So that's that's a good pick. I I had given very little thought to that before you said it, but now I'm intrigued. Now I'm intrigued. The Isaiah Simmons thing has been out there, and as yeah. soon as Isaiah Simmons got to the NFL, they moved him to linebacker. Like as soon as it happened, yeah. immediately, because it wasn't going to work. And I am wondering if they get through this off season, and especially when your linebacker depth isn't great. I mean, they've got bodies, but they don't have like the top of the room might be great, but there's not a lot of known commodities maybe it might be better to make that switch right now than having that kid get to the NFL a year from now and then they make that switch. To be but fair, the, the Cardinals are not very think... smart, but I agree. <laughs> two things. Two things can be true. Two things can be true. I, and, but to the point, I think this is the perfect game to find that out because yeah. they're going to, they do a lot of 10 personnel in this game. And it's like, well, one, do you trust Sonny Styles to be on the field? in a game where we're not really sure if Lathan Ransom is even healthy enough to play in this game, let alone wants to play in this game. But I'd also, if you trust him, yeah. is he going to get burned? I, I, I want to make sure I, I add on to what I said before, though. There is another. There is a third option mm-hmm. with Sonny Styles for next year, which is um, you keep him at the nickel. And, and again, like so many of these things, these conversations get thrown off because they call them things that then they call them something else later because Jim Knowles comes in calling at nickel safety yeah. But then this year, when he talks about that position, it's like, well, is it? Do you want the nickel Sam in there, or do you want the nickel corner? And like, he's not talking about safeties at all. He's talking about yeah. Sonny Styles as a linebacker. So it's <laughs> so. I think another option, if you look at the twenty twenty four defense, is Sonny Styles is your starter at nickel Sam, and then when you need a nickel corner, Sonny Styles is your band linebacker. And, and then Sonny ah. Styles just, Sonny Styles moves up and up back and forth, not. Not onto the field and off, you know okay. what I mean. Like that is another field. option that is okay. at their at their disposal, depending on how yeah. they mix things up. Now that's a more challenging thing to ask a guy to do, but not completely, not completely really. I, I think that he he's a versatile enough guy and a special enough athlete that he can probably do that and is smart enough and and is is locked in enough to, to do that. I think that's another option that would be on the table for them. And so we shouldn't we shouldn't make it seem like the only option they'll have is either 
play him full time or only play him half time. There's another way to play him full time. It, it just would be across a couple spots, which I guess is sort of what you're alluding to, Andrew. That to get to to truly maximize yeah, yeah, his yeah. versatility, to truly maximize his versatility, yeah. but also maximize what's the best matchup down the down for this defense. Probably means that he is is moving around like that, but because because if Jordan Hancock doesn't come back, they are cross training enough guys at nickel between corner and safety that I think that's still going to be there's going to be another Jordan Hancock next year. Some of those guys like Ryan Turner left, I know, but they're already they're bringing guys in in this in this signing class saying. Oh, like he's Miles a corner, Lockhart but he's also going to play this. It's coming to play that position, yes. Right. So yes. this is the thing that Jim Knowles is going to keep doing is like is playing guys both ways. So um, I would imagine that even if Hancock doesn't come back, there may still be a companion piece for Styles that they use at that nickel spot next year. But I think that's part of my my point here is that. I know Sonny Styles is a good nickel Sam. He's a freaking Sam linebacker, man. When, I know he's a good Sam. I know that. I've seen it for 12 games now. I know he is quality at that role. My concern is him at the bandit spot because that's where he was in the Michigan game where some of those plays happened. And that's what, where my concern is. I, I, to your point, I'm, I'm not saying that, like, oh, it's either he's on the field playing this nickel role, he's not on the field. I'm saying I agree that it does seem like Maybe he starts at that nickel, and then when you bring in an actual corner slot nickel to play that role, you move him up the bandit. I'm saying when that happens, is that going to go well long term? Is that going to go well? And when you're playing a team like this, who is going to attack you vertically, horizontally in the passing game, is going to put out four wide receivers a lot of times, or he is going to have to cover, or even when he has to come down and make a tackle, what's my confidence level right now that he's going to make that tackle? Because can he do it? Yes. Can he do it at a high enough level to where it's helping them, helping have winning plays for this defense? That's my concern with it right now. And I just think Missouri, because of the way they play football, is the perfect sample size to see where 30 days of bowl practice, whether he's continued to develop that coverage skill and just his ability to go downhill the way we saw Lathan Ransom. Because that's the thing. He's got to be able to do what Lathan Ransom does when he goes back to, to that bandit role just as well as he does what he does at that nickel spot. And that's why I think that it's so important in this game. Anybody else, just for the sake of some other guys you maybe were thinking about on this list, and we can open it up to back when this was, done in the vein of oh a lot of these guys might opt out just for the sake of i know this this list got a lot more difficult when we found out players were actually playing this football the the two that i didn't have the guts to put on the list the number one guy it actually opt outs wouldn't have been anything i was just i'm just curious if they if they make the rotation a rotation uh luke montgomery like i want to see if he plays like is he gonna play like, are they going to get him a few series in here? Because why not? It's the Cotton Bowl. It's postseason. Let's see what he's got. Let's see how he's grown. Let's see what he can do against an SEC team. I would have been curious to see that. So I, I, I didn't have him on the list um, because, frankly, I don't know if he's going to play. But I do. I, I am curious about him. And then it was the same thing with Jelani Thurman. This guy's going to endlessly be fascinating um, for a myriad of different reasons. I just don't know how much he's going to play, if at all. Like, I, I look at the list and you're like, man, 
really wish you like you almost wish there were more opt outs because then you would know and be like, man, like if is 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 Donovan Jackson gonna play? So who's gonna play left guard? Or if you know is, is Cade Stover out? Because then who's gonna play tight end? Oh, now we can talk about G Scott and Jelani Thurman and all these other guys. I just I think that those were the two guys that I had that you couldn't officially put on the list because you just don't know what their role is going to be if they're going to have one at all. Yeah, Thurman was definitely on my list. Yeah, Thurman was definitely on my list because he may have to play. Like, there may not be a choice. Like, (laughs) if Stover doesn't play, uh, Royer left, um, they're just getting down, they're getting thin. And, you know, he's another guy that got some late game opportunities and showed a little something. So do you put him out there and at least, you know, put him in some opportunities where maybe his his size can just be a problem, be something that teams have to to even if just putting him out there makes a defense probably have to adjust its personnel. And then you just do something off of that, even if you're not targeting him. You know what I mean? You can take advantage of it in some other way. He's an intriguing guy for that reason now and even in the future he'll be intriguing for that but in the future he'll just be able to do more on his own so he was definitely someone on my list you know as i said before with stover and eichenberg both i don't know that this is just should they play or should they not they both had injuries late in the year and if they've got to be for themselves yeah ready for the pre-draft process and if not playing in this game mm-hmm. gets them completely healthy for the pre-draft process. That's probably what they should do. But they have not either one made an announcement, so we'll see what happens. Um, Jermaine Matthews is another guy I had on my list. Um, I mentioned Caden McDonald kind yeah. of in passing earlier in this when I was talking about Hero Canoe is another guy. And then I, I want to throw Jaden Ballard in here because it's just getting late in his yep. career, and I just want to see with an opportunity here if Marvin Harrison doesn't play – uh, we know Julian Fleming isn't going to play. Does he get, you know, he's been getting punt return opportunities or was, they kind of gave that back to Ibuka in the Michigan game. And we assume that would be Ibuka's duties in the Cotton Bowl again. Uh, so he's got, uh, he's there. He's he's hovering around having a role. But the, the, the competition in the room just keeps ramping up and ramping up and ramping up. And there's dudes coming. Even as there's dudes leaving, there's dudes coming. And where does he fit in? Does he show a little something in this game to where you put him on the list of guys who are competing for a starting spot next year? Or do you put him on the list of guys who are trying to be in the mix next year? That's a pretty big difference. And it's just, it's, it, there aren't many, there's no other position on this roster that you look at the same way. There's just so much talent at receiver right now. Just so much. It, this, this flood I mean, they lost a five. They lost a four-star receiver to a flip on signing day, and it was kind of we barely mentioned it. Like, yeah, eh. <laughs> eh, we'll see. They lost him to another Big Ten team. Yeah. <laughs> they lost him to another Big Ten they team. Have to we're play. Just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who they're playing they next to, year? They play Oregon in twenty four, twenty six, and twenty seven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they'll play him at least twice, they're, they're, and they may have to he may be on the field next year for that game though and that's not true of the i mean Jeremiah Smith might be on the field but Ohio State brings in receivers ranked that high every year and doesn't put them on the field immediately because they're just so much talent that's what i'm saying so jane ballard is just i think he's a very good football player he's just one of those guys who's getting into a spot on the roster where it's like well this is one of the few times where you know Jeremiah Smith's not here yet 
the true freshmen are still true freshmen. You have an edge over some of these other guys in terms of experience and reps and knowing the offense and all those things. And we just potentially are taking two of the guys out of the top of the rotation and, and removing them. So do you do something with that? I'm, I'm just curious. And you're taking two guys out of the rotation who are in the way of you because right. Xavier Johnson is going to play in this game, but he's a slot. So, I mean, we were in the Woody a couple of weeks ago and we were having a conversation with somebody, Nathan, and they said like with Marvin, when Marvin Harrison Jr. was off doing Heisman and award stuff, the starting wide receivers were Emeka Buka, Carnell Tate, and Jaden Ballard. So if you're thinking that Marvin Harrison Jr. isn't going to play in this game and Julian Fleming is floating around on the portal right now, you have to assume that your starting wide receivers on December 29th are going to be Emeka Buka, Carnell Tate, and Jaden Ballard. You're going to get starting level snaps. And this can either look like, I'm going to use another comparison here. Remember in 2020 when they had a burner? at one of their wide receiver spots, and they just completely ignored him for a year. And then that dude left, and he went to Bama and turned himself into a Belitnikoff finalist in a first-round draft pick. You remember that guy? Is that not – that's, like, on the table <laughs> on December 29th here where, like, Jaden Ballard's, like, super fast. So fast that when he was participating in the pro day, there were people like, whoa, who's that guy? And it created a conversation that probably never existed, and that's can Jaden Ballard force – Brian Hartline's hand and force him to take Julian Fleming off the field that time to put Ballard out there. It's like, no, he's just fast. He his hands are a little iffy and the route everything else that you need to do to be a wide receiver's not there. He's just super fast. So I'm on alert for the cotton bowl to just look like the 2020 season where Jaden Ballard's the starter. He's his third starting receiver, but he's just kind of out there because he's fast and he's like the next guy up in the room. Or do we see him flash? Do we see some things here? To, to your point, the main guy who is going to try to push you for your spot in the hierarchy right now is not here yet. He doesn't get here until January 7th, according to him. He said this somewhere when he was announcing and not actually signing the piece of paper at the time. But he's not here yet. So you get a chance here to build a little bit of runway before, for yourself before that guy gets here. Do you take it? Or are you 2020 Jamison Williams? Which is fine because JMO left and still ended up being a first rounder, but he wasn't productive here. So I'm with, like, Jaden Ballard was next on my list. And I'm just going to throw this one out here since you already said some of the other ones. Uh, CJ Hicks, just because yeah. there's a good chance he might be linebacker three if Tommy Eichenberg doesn't play because it's not, they might have to like, just, like shackle him down and not allow him to play because him and Cage Dover might just try to fight it the whole way. So CJ Hicks. And then. I was just excited to see Brandon in this, man. The dude flashed in the Purdue game, and it's like, okay, we're going to get a set chance to see a real chance to see him play. But Emeka Buka is playing, and Xavier, Xavier Johnson is playing. So I am wondering if he has any level of a role in this game. Maybe if Jaden Ballard's your starter now, and you don't put Emeka back there, maybe you put him at punt returner. But just I just want to see him out there, see what he can do in some level of a role, even if it's not necessarily within the offense. But that's our nine, plus a few others we just wanted to name. That's Devin Brown, Davison Igbenosin, Carnell Tate, Dallin Hayden, Emeka Buka, Jordan Hancock, Hero Canoe, Kenyatta Jackson, and Sonny Styles. That'll wrap up this week's podcast, signing day stuff, a little bit of Cotton Bowl stuff. We're going to have a Saturday pod this week instead of having one on Monday since it is Christmas. So look for a pod on Saturday. We're going to do a pod that is going to go 
It's going to be about something Ryan Day said on Wednesday, and it's how he evaluates his assistant coaches. He actually laid out the criteria. So we're going to use that criteria, and we're going to grade the assistant coaches on the jobs they did in those three places. We'll put that out on Saturday. And so there won't be a Monday pod. The Monday pod will just come out on Saturday this week because Monday is Christmas. So don't look for a pod on Christmas. Go hang out with your family because that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be hanging out with our families. And then after that, it's Cotton Bowl week. The 27th, the 28th, and 29th will be Cotton Bowl prep as Nathan heads down to Dallas to cover Ohio State versus Missouri in that bowl game. The bowl game's on the 29th. Get the text, man. Get it for somebody for Christmas, too, man. It makes for a good gift. 614-350-3315. Two-week free trial. $3.99 after I'm telling you. It's a good time here. It's a good time. And check out our YouTube channel. We put up videos there as well. So like, subscribe, do all that stuff that you do on YouTube. So for Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>